0: This is the Bill Kelly Show podcast.
1: Uh, A local business group, the Carmen's Group specifically, uh, is now making some overtures that they would like to take over uh, the Hamilton Entertainment Facilities downtown. Now, they're already involved in that to a certain extent, but there are other facilities and there's an opportunity here, or so they seem to think anyway. Uh, They have reached out to Hamilton City Council on this and... uh, well, so far, there's no official word back yet, but uh, the uh, anecdotal conversations I've had with some of the folks at the city are pretty positive about something like this happening. Joining us in studio to talk about this is PJ McCannity, the CEO of the Carmen's Group. Uh, good, Thanks for coming in today. Well, oh, thank you, Bill. This is a, a very delicate operation and a very delicate proposal that you're coming up with right now because there is a contract that's in place right now. You have a contract mm-hmm. with the city, mm-hmm. uh, but both of them, my understanding, are up at the end of this year. Correct. All right. And so you're looking at this as an opportunity. Maybe just to set the foundation for the conversation here. Uh, Blue sky for a second here, PJ.
2: What would you like to see happen, and what do you think Carmen's can do to help? So what we would like to see happen is for is for council to to entertain alternative management arrangements for uh, for the facilities and uh, and and you know our our, our vision and our idea short term is, uh, is 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 two, a, a twofold strategy uh, first to maximize the existing uh, facilities uh, in, in in their best. Uh, Form, and secondly to start the conversation about what the next generation of these facilities look like. Uh, this was uh, was primarily, uh, you know, primarily started when when Councillor Marula put his motion forward in November about uh, about exploring you know the the options available. Uh, that got you know my brain my brain going, and you know obviously we were a part of the arena study uh, that that yep. took place a, a, a year or so it. ago. We helped fund it, um, you know, because there was a, a component of that uh, with the convention center, and uh, and 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 we we recognize that um, that if Hamilton. Is going to be able to compete on a national scale for for big events, and if we're going to build the type of city that uh, that that we believe we're capable of building, we need to start the conversations now about what the next generation looks like. Uh, you know, we're very proud about. What we've managed to achieve with the convention center, uh, you know, there were a lot of skeptics initially uh, saying that we wouldn't be able to deliver on the subsidy savings that we did. But uh, but we're proud to share that this year the city will be in a in a cash positive position with our management of the of the convention center. We've eliminated the subsidy and we've uh, we provide a utility contribution to the city. Uh, so so you know we've certainly uh, delivered on that, and we think we can deliver um, you know better value than what is currently uh, than the deal that is currently in place uh with uh with the existing uh you know management prov- provider at First Ontario Center and First Ontario Concert Hall uh we could put some capital in place as well but more importantly uh we want to start the conversation about what the next generation looks like and, and let's explore scenarios that can can deliver on that grand vision let's, All right, let's let me ask yeah. you
1: about that uh, because you did help fund the uh, the report that uh, Jasper Kajewski presented to council some of those scenarios were developed and 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 outlined in that report The costs are significant. Some might even suggest overwhelming. So you're aware of this already. The the options are do nothing, and Mm -hmm. I don't think you want to do that. I don't think anybody wants to do that. Uh, Tear it down and build something brand new or try to modify this. Sure. Really not a whole lot of other options there. Or relocate, I guess, is another Mm -hmm. one that's out there. But uh, then what do you do with these facilities? So I guess there is a fourth option if you wanted to go down that road. Uh, do you have an idea? I mean, you've read the report. You <clears throat> helped <throat> to foster that report right now. Is there something that you can hang your hat on and said, if, if we do this, uh, we're leaning towards doing this, or do you just start with a, a blank sheet here?
2: The key is to bring the parties to the table that, that, that can do something about this. So this is, this is where we need, now need to uh, create a, a public-private model, bring bring key city stakeholders to the table and and other partners to the table in the financing development world to examine scenarios that would allow the private sector to potentially put money into developing new or or modifying new new facilities but in exchange for that to councilor marula's motion uh, there is development opportunities to help to help you know create the the, the funds to then to then reinvest in in, in, in new facilities, um, new entertainment facilities. <clears throat> I, I, I am I am aware. Um, that the you know other municipalities across Canada received funding from the federal government for their new convention centers. You know, so we would obviously want to see what is available in the form of provincial and and federal funding for some of these new new facilities. And and how do we create the the model, the scenarios between the, the you know the different levels of government and the private sector to to you know completely reimagine. Uh, these uh, entertainment facilities and convention facilities downtown.
1: Okay, a couple of things just for the point of clarification. First of all, you don't want to buy these things,
2: uh, uh, or was that an option? That that that. I mean, there could be a play where that is an option, and and it would obviously have to be a win-win for the for the city and for the private sector. But I think that that more more important than anything is for consultants to come to the table to to help. And and this is a very very complex you know complex process in the sense that you know there are a handful of different facilities that are at different you know different ages and have different issues Um, there are you know certain pieces of city lands that these facilities sit on Uh, so so the the conversation has to essentially be that of what are the business models that need to be at play to allow for new facilities to be built and for uh, you know the private public sector models to to be able to provide the funding for for new construction I, i'm going to use an example
1: uh, a few years ago i had the opportunity to uh, to talk to the two po- main characters the two principals involved in the ottawa football mm-hmm. franchise mm-hmm. uh this is just after the, the city had been awarded the franchise and there was some talk about redeveloping lansdowne park which is an area by the way it's not just the name of the stadium uh and uh this is before they'd even done anything because there's still some negotiating going on but they essentially told me that uh, that you know what the stadium's almost a throw-in, and he says I'm not trying to belittle it because it's not insignificant how to build a stadium, but he says it's the real estate development around there, the commercial and and the co- and the residential around there. Well, I was there for the Grey Cup mm-hmm. this past year, mm-hmm. and I was there for, I I was in Lansdowne Park a number of times back in the '60s and '70s and '80s, and is a huge transformation that's gone on there mm-hmm. because of the the private sector buy-in, not from the city. But from the private sector, I uh, now again we're blue skying here. Do you mm-hmm. envision something like that downtown that you can actually attract the kind of private sector investment
2: that could could help rejuvenate that area? Absolutely, and and the Lansdowne Park model is a perfect example of how this has worked. Um, you know where it has delivered a new entertainment venue for the municipality. It's delivered new development and new new you know. Um, residential and, and retail uh, components and, city and building components, space, by the way. and green space and so it's certainly uh, you know checked off a lot of you know important boxes for the municipality and uh, and that's an example of a true win-win-win for for everybody involved and an example of a, a, a the public uh, the private sector working with the public sector and, and ma- making a vision come to life so so it is very possible there are examples of that and it's it's essentially that type of thinking and that logic that we want to bring to the table you know the, the city can't. You know, go go it alone. Private sector can't go it alone. It has to be a genuine partnership in, in figuring out what does this n- the next generation look like. How do we make this happen? Let's start the conversation now. Let's bring the parties to the table that 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 can influence change and make change happen. And and obviously, a lot of the development that's happening right now in Hamilton is is proof that there is an appetite and an interest from the private sector to to explore these type of devel- development plays.
1: Beyond the the little group, uh, it's not, and again not an. Insignificant Group that actually funded this report. Uh, yourselves and Fangate and Mr. Joyce and a number of other folks were involved in that. Uh, right. I know that you're not uh, at liberty to start mentioning names right now, but is this is this a local consortium you're trying to put it's, together? It's
2: it's a local consortium, a consortium, but it's oh it's an emerging consortium in the sense that it's it's not closed by any means, and it's certainly open for any parties that 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 have a have a, a an interest and uh, a like minded vision for the future of of these facilities and the future of Hamilton. Uh, so we will certainly be. Be um, you know open to conversations with those that that are interested in being at the table, at the strategic table, having these conversations, uh, and so so we want to long term we want to do what's best for the city of Hamilton. Um, you know I want to uh, you know help. Create the conversation, you know. Create the forum with with you know city council and city staff and and the and the industry partners to to figure out what the next generation looks like. I you know my my and, I, and I'm looking at it through the lens of, of now being a new father and I've got a you know young son and a young daughter and uh, and I'm curious to know what are the facilities they're going to go to in, in, in 10, 20 years to watch concerts and to attend, uh, you know their their you know their um, graduation events in the convention centers, uh, you know, we need to start talking about what our children are going to be, uh, what facilities they're going to be, you know, using. They need to be modern facilities. Uh, they need to be able to have the amenities that, uh, that that generation is going to want. You know, obviously right now, uh, the current facilities are, are dated, you know, they're, they're, they're,
1: I, I would suggest outdated. Outdated. You're, you're being kind.
2: They're outdated. They, they are in, they are in disrepair, uh, and, and, and something needs to, to happen. Um, conversations, Need to start, and and so the you know the ultimate purpose of my letter to counsel is to is to uh, accelerate those conversations. You know, the short term management is 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 one piece. The bigger piece is is starting the conversation about about what uh, you know what does this look like in the future.
1: All right, I, I got I have to ask you to address something. I got an email uh, the other day when this story first floated, and uh, you and I talked, and you said well, let's wait a few days until you actually get a lay of the land here. Anyway, somebody rather cynically sent me a note and said, these are just the guys that wanted the casino a few years ago. This is a backhanded way for them to get some land down there, and then they're going to come to the city and say, we want a casino.
2: Uh, (laughs) Your comments on that. Uh, No casino, period. Uh, no casino period that ship, has sailed. that ship has sailed uh this is about the future of these facilities uh obviously those that that have been in tune with the olg conversations you know would be aware that you know great canadian gaming won the gaming license for the the west gta bundle they have the gaming license they can do whatever you know whatever they want f- you know for you know and and my understanding is that uh you know they're content in in, in keeping the uh the 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 gaming facility in Flamborough, um, this is, you know, got nothing to do with casino. This is all about these facilities and the next generation of these facilities and the grander vision around that. I can certainly understand, you know, where, you know, where some folks are coming from uh, around that conversation, but, uh, but you know, but rest assured this is, this has got nothing to do with that and it's all about the future of these facilities. I, well,
1: there, I can yeah. tell you firsthand from being in politics and doing this show for many, many years, there's more than enough cynics here that We'll try to find the dark side of anything, but but when you can bring people from from this carrier together and 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 give them a common purpose, it's amazing what can be done. Because I've seen it happen in other cities, and it's starting to happen here. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a name that surfaced here that uh, that uh, we may uh, some of us may be familiar with. I certainly am. Uh, Scott Warren, who was managing these facilities for Spectra, who have the current contract on on uh, both uh, the Hamilton Place and, and Cops. I'm going to use the old time names mm-hmm. just so we can mm-hmm. differentiate here. Uh, He left the organization late last year.
2: Uh, I'm told that he may be involved in this in some capacity. So, so when when we had um, had found out that Scott was uh, Scott was no longer with uh, Spectra, uh, we we you know we saw that as uh, as as an opportunity. for, for the future of these facilities, primarily because he obviously has a lot of experience with the facilities and he's got a lot of important relationships with industry promoters, uh, you know, the folks from, uh, from all the big, uh, you know, uh, music and, and entertainment uh, booking groups. Uh, the just for laughs groups, you know the folks, uh, obviously at uh, at AEG Live Nation. He's he's very well connected in the industry with and has has a lot of uh, a lot of respect with uh, a lot of the promoters. So you know, so from a from a, an ability to book talent and bring. You know, important content into the facilities. You know, he's got the relationships that can help. That can help um, make that happen. And 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 for us, that you know, maintaining that that sense of continuity with delivering uh, content for Hamiltonians is important. You know, Scott played a played a big role in bringing Garth Brooks into Hamilton and bringing Paul McCartney uh, into Hamilton. And and so we would certainly uh, want him. To to continue to deliver on bringing some of those big name acts into the into the city and working with the industry uh, promoters to 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 make that happen.
1: There is a, a major tenant uh, for the arena already, um, a, a, a class tenant. It's not the NHL. It's never going to be the NHL. I don't know what your thoughts on on that, but i I'm, I'm dealing in reality here. Some folks in the city apparently still aren't. Have you had any conversation at all with Michael andlarth from the Bulldogs about this
2: we we're in touch with uh, with the bulldogs uh, frequently we do a lot with the Bulldogs Foundation yes, you do. Uh, mm-hmm. with um with uh, with Peggy and steve and 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 Michael so we we connect on a very frequent regular basis uh, you know I did have a uh, a casual conversation about this and you know uh, about, about his frustrations for sure and 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 you know and we have a tremendous amount of respect for for Michael for the Bulldogs organization we recognize their importance in the city of Hamilton and the investment and commitments that that they've made to the city of Hamilton and to these to these facilities. So so you know we certainly recognize it's important to keep to keep uh, a strong relationship with Michael and to to work you know work with him in 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 helping helping you know helping him and his organization to to deliver the types of experiences that his his uh, patrons you know wants uh, you know obviously. Uh, you know, he it is the Bulldogs organization is a business. They have customers, and and delivering on the customer experience uh, is is important. So we, you know, would certainly want to add value to his enterprise and to and to those customer experiences in some way, uh, and and be be a part of the short term and long term conversations as well with him. The mayor has
1: uh, opined on this already, and so have some councilors. This is an election year, as we know. And they said that look, it don't come to the city looking for money on any of the renovations or building or anything that. It's just not
2: going to happen. Mm-hmm. What would you be looking for from the city? Uh, right now, it's just dialogue is is I guess the the, the first step with the city and the first uh, the first um, first item that that would be needed is is just opening up the dialogue and creating the forum for dialogue, bringing the people to the table, the consultants. Um, you know, from the you know, third-party consultants that that do the you know the important reports that are necessary, uh, bringing the the industry, private sector industry to the table, bringing the the uh, you know obviously the key people from the city to the table, and starting the dialogue and creating a process that allows uh, ideas and different uh, scenarios to to be be created, and then and then go from there. But this is a multi-step type of uh, type of uh, you know idea that we're looking at uh, at hopefully seeing manifested but the first thing from the city is just you know having a, uh, a dialogue with them because collaboration is the only way that anything of significance is going to happen. A collaboration between the uh, the the public sector and the private sector is 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 the is the key is the key to this and 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 I guess just a spirit of collaboration is the starting point. So that's the first thing and 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 I I certainly you know. Uh, believe and 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 my gut is that the city certainly wants to 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 be a a prime collaborator in this, as they should. These are their city assets. These are their assets, um, and 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 obviously they want the best for their assets that are going to drive uh, drive you know uh, city building and 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 p- potential tax dollars and and other other you know other benefits. Uh, so th- I'm 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 certainly hoping that uh, that the city is is open to being at the table. In all right. likelihood,
1: this is not going to be sole source In other words, they're not just going to say, "Hey, the great idea, guys. Here's the contract. Uh, you're going to have to compete against others." Are you prepared to do that?
2: Absolutely. And 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 you know. Every every it, I think that uh, transparency is is, is critical, um, but uh, we need to even have the chance to compete, um, provided and without dialogue and without collaboration and moving this forward, there is going to be no opportunity. So so we want to we want to just help get it to that level and then and then see where it goes from there. And and you know we respect. Uh, we respect that uh, that 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 things need to happen through a through a a process. Uh, you know, we will happily compete, and at the end of the day, uh, may the best bid win. Um, and and you know, we would uh, certainly, both short term and long term, look towards providing the best bid. And 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 you know, those who are those who are at the table in in, in 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 analyzing the bids, you know, would would be the ones that have the have the authority to to decide. But but we would certainly do our best to provide the best bid.
1: PJ McCandie, CEO for the Carman's Group, uh, interested in the uh, other facilities downtown, the entertainment facilities. Uh, this is the first step; a lot more to go on this, and I'm sure we'll talk again. Thanks for this today,
2: though. Thank you, Bill. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show weekdays from nine to noon on AM 900 CHML.
1: A privacy expert is urging Hamilton City Council to uh, slow down and take a second look about this idea about uh, residential security cameras being pointed toward the streets. Uh, this is a, an interesting idea that was debated at Council a couple of times now. Sam Morillo, the Council for Ward 4, is uh, the guy who is supportive of this motion. He joins us on the program to uh, give us the wherefore and the why in this and, and address uh, what the privacy former Privacy Commissioner is saying. How are you doing this morning, Sam? I'm doing well, Bill. Yourself? Good, good. Listen, i got to say, just in the interest of full disclosure, uh, I have always been supportive of of CCTV uh, from the time the city started doing this years ago. I think it's a great idea. Uh, And and from that, and it's been in place for some time now, explain to us exactly where the idea came from to actually maybe use this as a tool that police can use now.
3: Well, uh, thanks, Bill. And uh, at the police presentation a couple of weeks back, uh, Chief Gert uh, made reference to the Tim Bosma trial, and the fact that uh, the reason why they were successful in that case was the fact that they were able to put together footage from CCTVs that were located or affixed to residential homes, and the fact that uh, they had these pointed onto the public area, and they were able to piece together a series of actions which deduced uh, who, who the, uh, the person was responsible for the murder, or murders. So in in saying that, it it begged the question at the time. I said, well, Chief Gertz, it's really ironic that here we are praising these residents and praising the fact that this material was available to you to successfully prosecute this criminal, yet each one of those residents would be subject to a breach of the bylaw and potentially a conviction and fine, which to me is nonsensical. Um, So in, in, in that vein, I asked him, would you endorse revisiting the bylaw in order to um, uh, look at means of amending it to allow for for the public viewing or or CCTV being uh, pan, uh, panning in on the public aspect, not private, so not someone's front door, not someone's front yard, but simply sidewalks and, and the road itself. And he said, absolutely, that would be an important tool uh, in in ensuring that we have eyes throughout the city to enforce it to be, reactive when a crime has been committed and to be proactive in providing a deterrent to anyone with any thoughts of, of, of breaking the law but what's really important here bill is that at present the bylaw is really toothless in that a bylaw officer can't even investigate a complaint because unless a resident voluntarily allows that bylaw officer to come in to take a look at the video there's no way for him to actually gain access, because they don't have the authority to have a warrant granted, unless, of course, it's a police matter, and a crime, a crime has been committed, and a warrant is now issued. So any bylaw that can't be enforced needs to be off the books, because it doesn't mean anything. So when the Privacy Commissioner tells us that, that this is not a good idea, what I think she or he fails to realize is that at present it's happening anyway, And it's a wild west, and they're pointing it wherever they want, backyards, front yards, and we're trying to create a realistic parameter, and one that's more voluntary, because, as I've said, it's unenforceable. So let's work with residents to ensure that their neighborhoods are safe. Let's work with our police services to create as many eyes out there as possible to be reactive it, it, unfortunately, when a crime is committed, but more importantly, proactive in creating a deterrent.
1: Well, I had the chief on the show the other day, Sam, and we raised this, and he he expressed some of the support that you've just talked about here. I guess repeating what he told you guys at the council at the committee meeting. Uh, but but uh, there's there's a uh, uh, duality here that's in place here that I think has to be part of the conversation and I'm, I I just want to point it out to the listeners is it's one thing for to, ha- to have a bylaw that says well we can't do that because you know we won't want to point it at somebody else's residence for instance yet I can walk down the street with my iPhone right now and I can film anything I want and it's not against the law including in your vehicle I, yeah
3: I have a dash cam as well so it, it it's a, it's a nonsensical bylaw and and again, it's unenforceable. So why have something on the books so that's unenforceable? Is it to give the impression of doing something? Well, I don't think bylaws are meant to be in place to give the impression that something is being done. We need something in place that's realistic. But more importantly, we need to create common sense bylaws, ones that actually mean something. And being able to, to video your front public yard. And I'm not talking private yards. I'm talking public. The sidewalk and the road should be legal. Anything short of that's Really nonsensical.
1: Well, I, I know that it happens in other parts of the world, and I understand the privacy concerns. And uh, Sam, I think you, you were on council, weren't you, when they, they first initiated the CCTV program downtown? Yes, uh, All in right. Ottawa Street. We, yeah, uh, Bernie
3: Morelli and Bernie Morelli and I championed that, and, it, and it's worked wonderfully well. So. I'm all for it. And, and, and you know, when they
1: tried to do it downtown, it was uh, Chief Brian Mullen at that time. And, and we had public meetings in various parts of the city. I know you guys did in the East End as we did up on the mountain. And uh, and they said, boy, there's going to be a, a loud rush. We had two people show up uh, that had some opposition to it. And, and, I, and I, I'm not trying to say, hey, this is the wild West. Do whatever you want, whenever you want, to whomever you want. We're not going there at all. But CCTV, I think, is a reality uh, that we have to face, and, and uh, you know, you use the Bosma case. I mean, there were in so many other situations, for instance, in London, England, and parts of, of the U.K., where they tracked, uh, I remember an incident, this is some years ago, but I, I know you'd remember, uh, where there's a young boy that was actually killed by two other young kids, and they tracked, and they actually found how the crime was committed, because there were CCTV cameras everywhere, and they were able to track these kids from the time they met all the way to where the, the crime occurred. And I'm not suggesting that's going to happen, but they're a reality that we have these days. And the privacy concerns, I guess, need to be talked about. But at the same time, I think we have to be realistic about what we're doing here.
3: And what's important to recognize, if you go back, and I'm glad you mentioned and you give examples, look at the Boston Marathon bombings as an example. They pieced together that whole case based on CCTV video footage. Uh, And this also, this bylaw, just so you know, we did amend it uh, to include commercial buildings as well. And that was... I believe Ferguson's uh, uh, friendly amendment that I accepted. So not only will we be looking at residential units being able to videotape public, and it's so bizarre that I'm even saying it, that someone cannot tape or video a public road. It's a public road. It's not a private road. So uh, this will also incorporate commercial buildings as well.
1: So where are you with this now? I mean, uh, is, is there a concern that there's going to be a challenge? I mean, I know City Council seems to be pretty supportive of this. Can can you yeah. alter this right now?
3: Well, with, right now it's in staff's hands to assess and work with the police accordingly and in conjunction with our legal department uh, through the freedom of information uh, uh, legislation and other potential constitutional aspects that need to be addressed. Uh, but from my perspective, it's not rocket science. And I really have a difficult time grasping how... Having a video, again, having a CCTV camera facing a public road is somehow a an infring, an infringement of privacy. It's not private. It's public. Hence I can't wrap my mind around that.
1: Well, just as a for instance, and, and we'll, since we're talking about residential neighborhoods, I, just off the top of my head, I'll pick a residential street. If I want to go down Garfield Avenue, you know, in the center of the city, these towns... All right. Do I have an expectation of privacy if I'm walking down the street? I'm, I'm not quite sure I can grasp that. That that, that that's a, a situation where I'm entitled to a certain amount of privacy. I'm on an open public street in, in the middle of the city. Where is the privacy there?
3: That's my whole point. Based on that premise, then uh, people should be able to walk around naked. If that's the case, like it's it's, it's ridiculous. It it is so ridiculous that it's almost it's that whole um, extreme the pendulum. Swinging to the extreme when it comes to these private uh, privacy commissioners and trying to overstep their their boundaries based on what the theoretical euphoria euph- that uh, utopia sorry that that, that they've created in their own mind.
1: Did you get any explanation from staff at all, Sam, about the about the the, the, the divide here between commercial and, and residential properties? Uh, to go back again to the idea that the, the the debate we had when they passed the initial bylaw to allow CCTV cameras downtown. So it's okay to, to, to have a camera on somebody who's walking down King Street by by Houston, but it's not okay to walk have a camera on somebody who's walking down Houston by Barton Street. I don't understand the difference there. It's it's yeah, well, hence, it's hence
3: my frustration as well. And Ottawa Street, we have them. We have CCTVs on Ottawa Street. We've had them there for fifteen years. Um, so I, I again, I know that we have to go to we have to jump through certain hoops to get approvals from the province, but. Again, it's just a whole bureaucratic, nonsensical approach to overstepping someone's perceptual uh, utopia pursuit.
1: So you have the police on side, at least on a philosophical level on this. Uh, council seems to be on side on this, uh, but it seems to me as if the resistance you're getting from this is from some staff members.
3: No, 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 we're getting it from the private the Privacy Commissioner in Toronto at this point. Well, the the, the
1: ex privacy commissioner, Miss Kevorkian, of course, I think she works at Ryerson University now, but but yeah. clearly she's still an advocate for these. And and I know that when you passed this initial bylaw, that you've started to question now, Sam. Uh, she thought that was a wonderful idea, and it was record breaking and, and everything else. But I I don't know. It seems to me as if it's a step back when it comes to to the reality of what we need these days. I mean, a lot of the people that have complained to me about privacy and about uh, CCTV cameras uh, still go to an ATM at their bank and there's a, there's, a, there's a camera there. They still go into the store and there's a camera there. They go into the variety store at the end of the day because they want to get milk or something. There's a camera there. I mean, they're, they're a reality these days. I mean, this this expectation that I don't want anybody to know that I was there. I mean, for God's sakes, you can be tracked on your phone for God, if, if somebody wanted to. It's,
3: uh, Bill, honestly, it's, it's, that's my point. It's just—it's ridiculous. And unless you got something to hide, I'm not sure why you even care. Uh, from my perspective as well, like, why? Does that, I don't care. If, uh, I, I love cameras and microphones, as you know, Bill. So I'm not <laughs> watch, or anybody would
1: wait care. a minute. I've got that on tape now. Okay. <laughs>
3: Like Con- a big shock.
0: Confer-
1: <laughs> confirming what we already knew, Sam. But anyway, so, so, so where are, are there other cities having this debate as well? I know that, that you have a propensity when you m- try to move something, I like guess, to say, okay, what's going on el- elsewhere to see what they're doing.
3: No, I really I don't care what uh, anyone else is doing. And, no, that, that wasn't really the, the, the foundation of this. What was the foundation was Chief Gert standing up in his presentation applauding these residents for having these cameras that were breaking our bylaw the most ironic thing I've ever been subjected
1: to. I mean, I, you know, I wish there was a CCTV camera where that young man was shot, uh, you know, downtown on that Saturday evening some months ago. And, I mean, it would have helped police immensely to be able to do something like this. I mean, the, the people that are complaining about neighborhood violence and about increased gunplay and things of this nature would think, you'd think, that they would want to have every tool available to, to law enforcement officers so that they can do something about this sort of thing.
3: My point exactly. Everyone is it supportive of public uh, safety, yet some, when it comes to actually implementing tools to improve public safety, some all throw up red flags, and I'm not sure why, but I can tell you, though, based on my anecdotal input that I received from the majority of people at the gym and, and phone calls and emails, they're supportive of, of, of the initiative, and they see that it's nonsensical, that it's unenforceable, and again, if, I, if you have a bylaw in place that's unenforceable, I'm not sure how anybody can applaud it when it's not working, because people are doing whatever they want
1: to do anyway. Sam, a few months ago, you had a discussion around there, about actually adding more of these CCTV cameras uh, to some of the public properties, parks, things of that yep. nature, right. because I know you've got an increase in vandalism. But actually, it's it's rampant just about all over the city. Uh, right. Is is that project moving forward? I, I know yeah. you're heading into budget time right now. Is that is yeah. there money for that?
3: It is indeed, and that was that again was born. Because of all the graffiti that we were experiencing. That's right, and yeah. Vandalism and metal being stolen from our bridges and so on. So uh, that initiative was born from for, as a reaction to, to that type of behavior or criminal um, behavior. So, yes, that's moving forward. We're looking at uh, funding sources right now to expand the program. So, again, we're already moving down this road. And as you've mentioned, there, there aren't very many places you can go today where you're not on camera somewhere. And I think people have come to grips with that. And I they understand... It's just just, just the
1: times that we live in. But these are public places. I mean, nobody's saying that. I, I understand the, the the worst case scenario that somebody mentioned the other day when Chief Gert talked about it on our program was what if somebody's pointing it into the window and looking at what I'm wow. doing?
3: That's uh, ridiculous. No one's suggesting that. Uh, that's on the table. That's not on the table. Again, cameras facing road and sidewalk. No one's facing a house or windows or. Of course, that's, that's, that's that such is and should always
1: be illegal yeah well that's voyeurism and 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 clearly there are laws against that and those those aren't those aren't on the table now that's that's not what you're suggesting at all yeah uh but but we have had the discussion and i think it's a wholesome discussion about including and increasing the number of these i mean you mentioned about the vandalism in parks but i know i think councillor jackson was talking about illegal dumping that was going on in some of his areas that's right. and and uh, and putting cameras in there i mean it's a it's a law enforcement tool that uh, that more and more communities are jumping into and you are i mean if, if if you can carry through with this program and it looks like you're going to uh, you're going to be able to have uh, cameras in in commercial areas you're going to be able to have them in parks uh in in remote areas where there's illegal dumping going on but but not on city streets that seems a little bizarre
3: and one thing we know for certain is that it is a deterrent So even when it comes to graffiti, if you have a camera, people that have fixed cameras to buildings that are chronic uh, victims of graffiti, it eliminates the problem. Uh, So, again, it works. And the bottom line is we have to find a balance, obviously, all the time on any given bylaw or issue. And on this one, the balance is really, really clear. And the fact that it's public property we're facing the cameras towards, not private, hence it's not a privacy issue.
1: This bylaw that you are challenging right now has been in place for seven or eight years now. That's right. Uh, my understanding from staff is they get maybe two complaints a year, three complaints a year, something like that. Yeah, based on what uh, was printed today, yes. So this is this is not as if this is uh, an effective bylaw, even the way it is right now. It doesn't seem to be having much of an effect on anybody.
3: It doesn't in any way. Nobody, you can't even if you do put a complaint in, they can't fully investigate because once they get to your door, you don't have to give them access to the video. So. The, so it's not, again, it's unenforceable, it's toothless, it's, it's meaningless, it's simply there for the sake of being there, hence we need to amend it and to try to mold it and try to encourage people to do it but do it right rather than wrong.
1: Ward floor right. councillor Sam Marula. Sam, thanks as always for the time. Good talking to you today.
3: Likewise, Bill. Take care.
1: Okay. I, I can't even understand why there's a debate going on, and I, I understand that there are people that are opposed to this. They were opposed to them when they put them in banks. They were opposed to them anywhere else. And and they use the privacy argument. And I can understand where Ms. Kevorkia has come from uh, in in her opposition to this as well. Uh, when she was the privacy minister, she was very adamant about these sorts of things. But it's it's a reality, I think, that we face these days. And uh, it's I, I know it sounds rather trite to say, well, if you've got nothing to hide, then what are you worried about? But, I mean, there is some credibility to that statement that so what if somebody sees you walking down the street? Uh, it's not as if they're going to publish it. It's not as if they're going to post it on YouTube. Uh, but if there's something untoward goes on, and I think we've all heard that in certain neighborhoods from time to time, that, uh, that it's a tool that can be used. And we just cited uh, probably seven or eight different examples of where it has been an effective policing tool to uh, find out who may be responsible and actually oftentimes leads to convictions in some of those things, whether it's vandalism or, as we found out in, in the Tim Bosma situation, a murder trial. Anyway, we'll see what happens when Council moves forward on this. You're listening to The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon
2: on AM 900 CHML.
1: There have been some uh, rather contentious issues that uh, the government, uh, that being the provincial government, has dealt with over the last number of while. None the least of which, of course, is the minimum wage increase that went into effect at the beginning of this year. And uh, we had a lot of discussion and debate on this program about how that was going to have an impact on business, small and large, in Ontario. Uh, the government kept telling us, no, 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 we're going to have some tax things there and everything's going to be fine, and it, you know, you'll know you be able to get in there. Yet we heard from uh, the Ontario Chamber and the, and the Hamilton Chambers of Commerce uh, about this and a number of small business organizations that said, no, we, we've got some legitimate concerns here. Well, it's been in play for some time, and as a follow-up, the Ontario Chamber of Commerce have released their second annual Ontario Economic Report in which they actually go out and talk to their members, those being the small business people here in Ontario, about how it's, what's going on, what's it like to be doing business here, what, what are the challenges. And uh, surprisingly, or not, the uh, wage hike that we talked about and debated so vociferously last year is a major part of that. But it's not the only one. A lot of red flags being raised by small businesses. Rocco Rossi is the President and CEO of the Ontario Chamber of Commerce, joining us on the Bill Keller Show to talk about this. Rocco, thank you so much for the time. It's good to have you with us today.
0: Uh, a great pleasure, uh, Bill. You've uh, always been there for us on on these issues, and we've got some great local leadership in in Hamilton with Keenan Loomis and his his team at the Hamilton Chamber that we're delighted to partner with on this report.
1: Well, I know that uh, any brochure you pick up about a chamber, Rocco says, well, the voice of small business. But I mean, it, it it's true, and it's not just a cliche. Uh, oftentimes, uh, w- one small voice of a small business person doesn't have much of an impact, and often doesn't get heard. Uh, the chamber speaks for those small businesses uh, individually and collectively, so it's important to get those opinions.
0: Well, we have over 60,000 members across the, uh, the province, and unlike what some uh, might lead you to believe, the vast majority of business people are not billionaires with uh, private jets heading down to numbered accounts in Panama uh, with bags of money. They are people trying to build some independence for themselves and their family and create jobs and prosperity in their communities as as business has always done. But sometimes it's a lot harder than other times to do it, and this is one of those times.
1: I don't want to get too deeply into the definitions, but there's an interesting twist to that as well, Rocco, that I know you're aware of, but just to remind our listeners... Because they look at something like some of the huge multinational corporations and, you know, whether it's a restaurant chain or a donut chain or whatever, then say, well, that's a big part of it. No, it's not. Those are all individual owners. Those are small business people that are running those franchises, and it's a lot more problematic for them to run a business. Don't think about the CEO. Think about the person who's managing and owning that franchise.
0: 100% correct, because they very often don't have control over what they can charge because it's set uh, corporately, but then they've got to deal with the costs that uh, uh, that they're faced with. Well, and we saw that with look, the Tim Horton said, story
1: from a couple of weeks ago, yeah. didn't we?
0: Yeah. I, I mean, look, at the, there are unfortunate consequences of all of this, but realistically not unexpected because, as you said... Every economic model that was put on the table, from the Bank of Canada to TD to the Conference Board of Canada, to the Canadian Center for Economic Analysis, to Queen's Park's own uh, Office of Financial Accountability, everyone said tens of thousands of job losses and/or cost pressure. Um, and the the, the the interesting thing is, the government set aside a special fund. To help the daycare industry because it understood that by increasing 21% overnight, um, labor costs, that this was going to put significant pressure on pricing. They didn't want daycare to become unaffordable and so they put in a fund. But somehow the rest of business is, is supposed to eat it. Um, and that clearly, uh, is, is not, is not realistic.
1: Give me an example, and I don't want to get too prescriptive on this, but I, I, a friend of mine that runs a snow clearing business, you know, landscaping in the summer, snow clearing, we, we, yeah. they're all over the place, right? Set his prices. Uh, Here are my clients. Uh, I'll charge you, I don't know, five hundred bucks for the season or whatever it is. Then the government comes along and says we're going to institute this. Well, all of a sudden, his his cost of doing business has gone up, but he's already told his his customers that's the price. He's got to eat that. How does he do that?
0: Well, he and others are are, are making uh, adjustments. I mean, no one criticized uh, Tim's when they were offering uh, benefits and breaks well above what is statutorily required of them. Uh, now that they have to, individual franchises are are uh, having to make adjustments, and still uh, providing uh, benefits that are foreign that are in excess of what is statutorily required because. They do care about their workers. They sure. do care about their communities. Um, they're getting it in the in the neck, and it, it's it's rhetoric that we want to tone down. And let's look at the facts, and let's look at uh, the realities that these people are, are are facing. And and doing things, you know, just another simple example, uh, Bill. The um, the health tax, the employer health tax, is done as a percentage of payroll. And if you've just jacked up your payroll by by uh, government uh, mandate by twenty one percent and then therefore your your tax is going to be increased on top of that, it's kind of like salt on the wound. so it's it's one of of thirteen suggestions and recommendations we've made to um to the government in our uh, pre-budget submission by the Ontario Chamber of commerce to say hey let's let's see about things that we can do to make adjustment. They've already instituted one thing which they took the small business tax from four and a half percent to three and a half percent we appreciate that but that is just a few percent on the impact of what the labor changes are and and there are other things as you noted as well this isn't just about the the minimum wage no this is about all kinds of other things that are happening you know we've got tax changes in ottawa we have the nafta discussions we have a huge issue that businesses small and large across the province are talking to us about which is a skills mismatch but very often they do have jobs that are going wanting the right people with the right skills because as a society as an educational system we're not doing a good enough job to give our young people the skills that the market needs
1: you know what? I highlighted that, Rocco, when I was reading the overview of your report, uh, because I, I want to talk about some of the other things, taxes, etc., because yeah. that's important. But that one jumped out at me. And, and you know the circumstance here in Hamilton. Of course, we have Mohawk College, uh, and right. we have the Innovation Park. And Mohawk is, is the number one skilled trade college in Ontario, and we're proud of that. But... And and I know when I talk to the president up there, Ron McCurley, and I talk to to Patrick Dean over at McMaster, they're they're working very very hard with industry and with businesses to try to gear programs that are going to make people job ready. But we're we're playing catch up here. We're falling behind. People are calling us right now, and you're hearing this in the survey that are saying I can't find skilled people, qualified people for the job that I want to offer.
0: 100. percent The interesting thing is with all of of the sound and heat around the tax and um, and the labor changes, the interesting thing in our report is the number one issue raised by 77% of our membership in the survey was actually the skills mismatch. Um, and so you're absolutely right, Bill. It is a current problem that um, is, uh, in a sense, shameful because we've got people without jobs and jobs without people and surely we're, we, we we need to do a better job of that. Some of it, as you say, change is happening so rapidly that you can't necessarily stay on top of it um, uh, easily. This isn't a trivial thing to do, but it's something where educational institutions, the government and business needs to work together. And the Ontario Chamber of Commerce is committed to uh, working with these partners to to make for better solutions here.
1: I I wasn't totally surprised. I must have been. I'm I'm bothered by that statistic, Rocco, but not totally, because when I talk to a lot of the entrepreneurs that are doing startups here in this area, uh, and there's a lot of them, which is good news, but I hear that as a common concern. I can't find qualified people. We want to expand now, and I can't find a workforce. We haven't trained people for this. and I I know the community colleges and others are aware of this right now, but we're playing catch-up, aren't we?
0: yeah and and it's not just because sometimes people feel well. this is all about you know coders no it's it's about welders it's about truck drivers it's about a whole host tool and die uh... workers it's a whole host of things and the reality for our children and our grandchildren is going to be that they're going to have many more careers than any of us ever had and so it's not simply getting them job ready in a specific skill but it's the adaptability to continually learn and that's another thing it's not just about you know go to mohawk graduate you've got your degree you're done thank you you're going to be back in five years or there's got to be other systems in place to allow people to retrain when we get uh, you know trucks that can drive themselves and ai doing that what are we going to do with uh... with those drivers who still have a lot of work life ahead of them, uh, and we can't just you know say well you know thank you uh, see you later. We need to put those people at work because that's what's going to guarantee Ontario's prosperity in the future.
1: There's another thing that I've been harping on for some time, and I think it came to light after the federal budget, which is almost a year ago now, Rocco. But I think and, and it, I think it's reflected in in the survey that you guys did. Uh, the left hand has to know what the right hand is doing. I mean, the federal government came up with tax reform. The provincial government came up with tax reform. And, and they're, they're actually putting a twice the burden now on small businesses uh, because of the, some of the things that Finance Minister Morneau tried to do from, from the federal standpoint, uh, whether it's income sprinkling with small businesses or anything else like this. And they don't seem to talk to each other to say, whoa, wait a second, that's really going to be a double whammy on business if we do this. Uh, and in that absence of that conversation, Uh, these people here, meaning small business in Ontario, are really getting it right in the wallet.
0: Well, people forget that there's only one taxpayer. Yeah. Uh, There may be multiple levels of government, uh, but at the end of the day, there's, you know, one set of pockets it's coming out of, and you're absolutely right. There needs to be uh, more coordination, and sometimes that happens, that ebbs and flows, that's uh, done better and done worse, uh, because every level has its own set of priorities and its own things that it wants to uh, to accomplish. But uh, we certainly uh, wish that there was a little bit more listening. Um, And hopefully, by sending out this message, um, we'll have uh, all of the political parties. You know, we've got a provincial election coming up, and we want all of the political parties to look at the suggestions that uh, that we're making. And look, we're going to work with... Uh, whomever is in government but we want to stress the notion that we want Ontarians to vote for prosperity because when you do that everybody wins.
1: There's another instance, and we're kind of short on time here, but I want to get into this because it's an interesting phenomena I guess that's starting to happen here in Ontario uh, and maybe we could have and should have seen this coming. Uh, it's it's the lack of production, the decrease in production, and the increase in service industries. And I know that that term, Rocco, gets a bad rap sometimes. Like, service yeah. industry, that means all oh, you're serving fries at McDonald's. No, lawyers are service industries. So are accountants. I mean, they're very credible, great jobs, etc. But they seem to be taking up more of the economy. But the downside to that is that we're a trading economy. And if we're not producing stuff, that's going to have an impact on on jobs.
0: For sure, and and it's the issue of you know not to get too technical, but the multiplier effect, and yeah. you know when you've got when you've got a very sophisticated uh, manufacturing world, you create all kinds of jobs around it, and some of the service industry um, jobs do that as well, but but not to the same extent, and um, and it's important to have that robust diversified portfolio, if you will. Of uh, economic opportunities because you know not all jobs are for all people uh, and uh, and we can train but there'll always be um, uh, people who are uh, more interested and find it easier to learn certain things than other things or more attracted to certain things and we want to have as much variety as possible so we keep our kids in Ontario with opportunities where they can continue to uh, to grow and prosper and build great situations for their children as we as we've done for ours.
1: Some of the other things that we've talked about over the last year or so are, are, are again uh, relevant to this uh, they talk about you know hydro prices, energy prices. in other words, the cost of doing business uh, that are still taxes has got to be part of that minimum wage but but it's it's becoming more and more difficult right now because this is going to have an impact on on profit margins and and I think that was the concern that we heard from your chamber, the Ontario chamber last year. Uh, in the minimum wage debate, but it wasn't exclusive to the minimum wage debate. it was that this was just another brick in the wall that was building up some concerns about you know the ability to try to make a living here. and and uh, government has to start listening to this. I'm not so sure that they listened a whole lot to what you guys had to offer last year during that debate now. are you are you confident with this data, Rocco, that you can sit down with with government and say, look at, we need to dis- to discuss some of these concerns?
0: Look, they're opening the doors to meetings, and we're uh, we're making the recommendations, and we're sharing our best thinking, and we want to keep it fact-based and evidence-based, um, and uh, it's 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 got to it's got to happen. As I mean, the 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 government um, can point to the fact that uh, look, in the last year or two. Ontario's done very well relative, there have been regional differences and certainly in the northeastern Ontario and, and, and some other communities are much harder hit, but overall Ontario has led Canada um, and, uh, and the G7 in the last year, um, but as that uh, great philosopher Walter Gretzky uh, puts it so well, success isn't about knowing where the puck has been, it's about where the puck is going. And this confidence measure and the cumulative effect of piling on, as you've pointed out, Bill, plus changes in the U.S. and then the NAFTA get, uh, discussions are, are painting a, um, a bleaker picture that needs some rapid decisions made uh, by governments of all stripes if we're going to uh, if we're gonna come out the other end uh, stronger.
1: Well, and, and to that end, and to Walter's great philosophy about, you know, looking down the road and saying, what's coming up? Uh, there are some dark clouds. We don't know what's going to happen with NAFTA right now and the impact that's going to have. Uh, we know that there are other jurisdictions that are looking at some of these problems and doing something about it. Uh, you know, over in the U.K. and in Scandinavia and some of the European nations, I mean, they're, they're changing and altering their education systems. You mentioned coding a few minutes ago. They're starting to teach that in grade three, over in the U.K. now, and, and we're not there yet. So uh, we, we've got to start thinking uh, down the road and saying, okay, what are we going to do, uh, not just for today but for tomorrow? And and this has to be part of this discussion, this this debate, and, and this, this report, frankly, with the data that you've got here.
0: Uh, you're doing my job for me, Bill. <laughs> you, you put it perfectly well, my friend.
1: Well, it's, it's just one of those circumstances where I, I, I just don't want to see us falter. I mean, we saw what happens when we sat back and did nothing, and Ontario took a huge step backward, and it's taken us a long time, Rocco, to get back on our feet. And as you say, the stats are great that you know that we've made some improvements, but I have still talked to more and more small business folks, and I'm sure you hear from them as members of, of the OCC as well, that are saying, yeah, I see the numbers, and I hear that all the stories on the radio, but I'm not feeling it. And It hasn't reached right. me yet, and, and we've got to look at those people and say we got to do something for them.
0: Yeah, and not only am I not feeling it, but because I'm not feeling it, I'm not going to be investing. I'm not going to be expanding, um, uh, and because I'm not in a position to or I don't think I'll be sufficiently rewarded for it, and this is the thing. It's kind of like you know everybody thought the stock market was going to go up forever it there was only one direction it's the same with economies there are ups there are downs um, and you have to adjust and this is a an incredibly competitive world where things are changing rapidly all the time uh... and we need to pick up that pace. we we're not in the same position that we've had the good fortune to be in for so many years being this incredibly large country, resource rich with relatively few people, uh, and so Bob's your uncle. We're going to do well regardless. No, 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 no. The rest of the world is is catching up, and as you said, in 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 uh, many areas has gone ahead, and we can't take anything for granted.
1: Uh, is this up on your webpage?
0: Uh, it is occ.ca. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the uh, Ontario Economic Report, our second annual. We also have our pre-budget submission, and we have our Vote Prosperity platform, which is a whole series of recommendations to all political parties um, to listen to the voice of uh, of business in Ontario.
1: It's worthwhile, read. Check it out. Uh, always a pleasure, Rocco. Thanks so much for this today.
0: Thank you for the opportunity and for always spreading the word.
1: Take care now. Rocco Rossi, of course, the president and CEO, Of the Ontario Chamber of Commerce.
3: The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML.